1,205 in the Church Bibles, page 1,205, Hebrews chapter 6. And let's just uh, pray a prayer from Psalm 25 as we, as we come to hear God's word read and preached. Show us your ways, Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. Amen. I'm going to read from uh, verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Well, hope is absolutely essential uh, for our human existence. Yesterday uh, was the Holocaust Memorial Day, a uh, memorial day to remember the six million Jews who were killed by Nazi persecution. The 27th of January uh, marks the liberation of the Auschwitz-Birkenau, the largest uh, sort of Nazi concentration death camp. Viktor Frankl uh, was an Austrian neurologist and a psychiatrist, as well as a Holocaust survivor. And he was both at Auschwitz and Dachau. And uh, he wrote a book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, which is a, is a great book. If we put it to the next slide. Uh, where he writes about his experience of being in uh, the concentration camp. And he observed that um, the way a prisoner imagined 
the future affected the longevity of his life. Those who had hope that there was a future beyond the concentration camp uh, lived longer than those who did not have that hope. Uh, hope is an absolutely essential element uh, for our human existence. Now I want you to imagine with me uh, we're standing on uh, coastal land and we're looking out to sea and there's a terrible storm and there's a little boat. You can just make it out on the horizon and it is being violently thrown about in the wind. And one minute you see it, one minute you don't, because the swell is so large, the waves that are just rolling past this boat. And you think, how on earth will this little boat ever survive such a storm? But the storm subsides, and there is the boat. It's still standing. Now, how, how is this possible? Well, it's possible simply for this reason. It is attached to an anchor. Uh, that has been thrown into the sea, and it is, the anchor has dug and found some, some um, vantage point, some, some rock that it's hooked underneath, uh, and the boat is being held in the storm by this anchor, and it's prevented the winds from blowing it uh, onto the rocks and smashing it into bits. That, that's how it survived. It, the, the, the anchor has held this little craft safe and fast. Now, I don't know how you're feeling as you come in to church today, whether you feel as if really the storms of life are breaking in on you. Uh, we, we prayed earlier uh, about one of our members. She was here one Sunday, the next day a terrible car accident. And, and all sorts of problems can break in in our lives. Suddenly, uh, we get a terrible diagnosis, and actually death uh, looms on the horizon. Uh, financial problems, our business struggles, relationship problems. There'll be all sorts of things that can break in on our lives. And actually, uh, one of the things that um, is a misconception for many is they think, well, the, the message of the Christian gospel is that when you become a Christian, everything gets easier. And if you think that's the case, uh, I want you to know that's nonsense. Our message has not come to Christ, and then everything is, is easy. Quite the contrary, actually coming to Christ might make life a lot more difficult. It, it, it might feel like you're in the storms more than you were when you weren't a Christian. And the, uh, the church that the writer to the Hebrews is writing to was in a, was in a storm, was facing great difficulties because uh, these uh, people who formerly were, were uh, uh, Hebrews... Uh, Jewish people had come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Life got difficult because they put their trust in Jesus. Because suddenly they faced the opposition and the persecution and the misunderstanding of, uh, of their friends and family who were opposed to them. You can read in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, some people were imprisoned for their faith. Uh, some people were... Um, had their property confiscated. Uh, it describes uh, them enduring a great conflict full of suffering. This had been the experience of the church. It was being rocked 
by these storms because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And the writer wants them to know that it's still worth it to be a Christian. It's still worth it to keep trusting the Christian gospel, even though they're being surrounded by these great storms all around them. We began considering last week that there were signs that they were beginning to wobble. They were becoming lazy listeners. If you look at chap- back, back at chapter 5 and um, or chapter six, uh, chapter 5 and verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear because you no longer try to understand. And then chapter 6, verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Why did they become lazy listeners? Well, because actually um, knowing more about Jesus meant that, the, 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 that they really hadn't, couldn't let go of Jesus and, and actually trusting Jesus was making life more difficult. And so their temptation was, well, I don't want to hear any more about Jesus. I don't want to face these storms and hardships. And so uh, the writer has broken away from uh, uh, his teaching about Jesus being the high priest to address their spiritual state. He doesn't want them to be sluggish. He, he doesn't want them to become lazy listeners. He wants them to actually imitate the faith of those who, um, who patiently waited to receive what was promised to them by God. And notice this about the Christian life. You know, there are many blessings that we experience right now for trusting Jesus. Many wonderful blessings. And yet, the majority of the blessings are yet future. And there's a delay. The gospel gives us great promises of a great inheritance. And we've thought in this this letter so far about the fact that... that, uh, Jesus is the uh, promised everlasting king that's going to bring in a kingdom of of righteousness and justice where wickedness will be no more. And and actually, anchoring to him is anchoring to this future kingdom that is yet to come. We received a heavenly calling. We're waiting for a better country. Uh, We're living, looking forward to that day when Jesus rules and reigns over everything and the wickedness and sin is there no more. And all the great blessings of the gospel, you know, Many of them, most of them, are yet to be experienced in their future. And there's a delay as we wait for them. Is it worth it? Is it worth holding on to these promises? Can we trust these promises? Can we trust, can we trust them today? Is it worth us anchoring our souls to the Christian gospel? Well, this morning, from this part of God's Word, I want to give us three reasons why we should keep patiently waiting until we inherit these promises. And the reasons are because we can rely on God's word, because we can rely on God's nature, and because we can rely on God's son. So we're going to think about this morning. So number one, the first reason is because God's word is dependable. In verses 13 to 15 of our section. Uh, at one level, making promises is, uh, is relatively easy. The question is, can you trust the person making the promises? 
politician makes promises. Can you trust those promises? Well, depends, doesn't it? President Donald Trump said this week that Britain would get a tremendous trade deal from America. Is that good news? Well, potentially. It all sorts of depends, doesn't it, on whether the, um, the promise of this political leader can be trusted or not. Does he have the intention to follow through on the promise? Does he have the ability to make good on that promise? Is he telling the truth? See, when we're not sure that someone's telling the truth, we question them under a solemn oath. And in a separate news story that there are some investigations going on in America now about whether there's any links between um, the election team of Donald Trump and the Russian government. And uh, there's investigations going on, and, and President Donald Trump was asked whether he'd be willing to be questioned uh, by a hearing um, about these allegations, and whether he'd be willing to answer these questions under oath. To which he replied, he was looking forward to testifying under oath, subject to the advice of his lawyers. Very interesting. Well, God has an amazing track record of making and keeping promises. Even when it looked humanly impossible for them ever to be realized. And the great example is that of Abraham in verse 13. Um, sit down on a rainy afternoon. We get a few of them these days. And read through Genesis, and you read this extraordinary uh, set of promises that God makes to Abraham. As a childless couple, God promises that he and his wife, Sarah, will be blessed and will have many descendants. That from them would come a great nation. And through that nation, blessing would come to the whole world. Incredible promise. And they were childless. And do you know what happened as the years went on? Nothing much. Year after year after year. They just seemed to get older and older and older. No child. No sign of a pregnancy. Until it became humanly impossible for it to happen. And then God sort of seems to intensify the promise. He, he calls Abraham one night to, to go out and say, Look at the stars in the sky. So will your descendants be. There'll, be. there'll be more descendants than stars in the sky. Look at the seashore. There'll, your descendants will be more than the, than the sand on the seashore. God intensifies the promise. He actually changes his name to mean father of many nations. And there's this long, long wait and then in their old age, they saw the beginning of God's promise being fulfilled in the, in the pregnancy of Sarah and the birth of their son, Isaac. And we read this morning a little bit from Genesis chapter 22, which is just this extraordinary moment. So here's this much longed for, much prayed for, much waited for um, son, the son of God's promise, and then God inexplicably tells Abraham, uh, I want you to go and sacrifice your one and only son. And the next day, Abraham heads off with the firewood and with his boy. And the boy says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And 
Abraham says to him, son, God will provide. And just as the boy is bound, he's on, he's on the altar, and Abraham's reaching for the knife, uh, God calls out to him and says, don't do anything to the boy. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And there in the thicket is a ram that is taken and offered as a burnt sacrifice instead. And, and, and Abraham calls the place, the Lord will provide. And then um, God swears by himself, it says, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. See, as we look back at the, uh, the record in, in, in the Old Testament, God has an incredible track record of making and keeping promises. Even when it looks humanly impossible that they could ever be kept, he keeps his promises. Uh, we see it in the birth of Isaac. We see it in the history of Israel as they did become a great nation. But more than that, we see it in the coming of Jesus Christ. Born as a descendant of Abraham. The one through whom God uh, comes to bring salvation and blessing to a sin-cursed world. Whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, it is the descendant of Abraham that is the, uh, the answer of God's salvation and God's blessing. We can depend on God's words. If we wait patiently, believing God's promises, we will, like Abraham, receive what is promised. Second reason, because we can depend on God's character. God's character is dependable. See, th these words are not an abstract law or a principle. They are promises made by God. Personal promises from an altogether trustworthy God. Now, we make people say things on oath because we're not quite sure they're going to tell the truth. So we, we, we up the pressure. You know, I don't know whether they still do this in law courts, whether you have to put your hand on a Bible and say, I promise to say the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. I don't know whether that happens or not. But uh, it used to be that, that that was the case. Now, God, you know, it's enough for God to make a promise. So why does he swear it with an oath? Because he's very gracious. He knows how we struggle at times with doubts and fears. He knows that we struggle when there's delay in seeing the outcome. And so he graciously adds an oath for Abraham's sake. So that Abraham would be completely clear about God's unchanging purposes. In his promise. God doesn't say one thing and then change his mind the next. He wants to show the unchanging nature of his purposes still stand. Is what the writer of the Hebrews uh, points out here. He gives an oath so that Abraham could be absolutely certain that God will bring about these amazing promises 
of a transformed world, a sin-cursed world, turned around and changed and transformed, and the wonderful blessings of the gospel through his son. He does it so that we'll be greatly encouraged. You see, if we, uh, in the language of verse 18, if we fled from all the false hopes and confidences that this world offers us to take hold of this Christian hope, as we consider the nature of God, a God who for whom it is impossible to lie, he just can't lie. He's altogether righteous. If we flee to take hold of these promises, we can be greatly encouraged this morning that it will surely come to pass. I wonder what is it you're hoping in today? Everybody, to keep going, hopes in something. I wonder what your hopes are, are based in. Is your hope based in your bank account? Is it in your pension plan? Is your hope based in your health, your intelligence, your, your education? Is your hope based in yourself? I'm a good person. My friends, all those hopes are utterly false hopes against the real storms of life, against the reality of facing a holy God with our sin on judgment day. But my friends, those who have fleed from false hopes to lay hold of these great and precious promises of the gospel, we can be greatly encouraged today. Even if you're in the storms of life today, I want you to be greatly encouraged. You're believing trustworthy promises and in, in, made by an utterly dependable and trustworthy God. And thirdly, because all of these promises are anchored in God's Son, who is totally dependable, in verses 19 to 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You see, our hope is anchored in a person. There is a person who right now is living and breathing the Jesus of history that we read about in the gospel accounts is alive and he's at God's right hand. Uh, we as Christians are not believing merely intellectual facts. We're trusting a living, breathing person who died on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven and who was raised from the dead, and who is ascended, and is at God's very right hand. Our anchor is Jesus. And you can be greatly encouraged today if your, the, life, the little boat of your life is, is held and attached to this anchor, Jesus. He will hold you fast, as we sang about already today. Now, there's some strange imagery here. You know, there's images piled on images, aren't there? 
Uh, there's a hope, and it's been thrown through a curtain, and this anchor's gone through a curtain. And, and it, it, now, what's going on? Now, the, the, the original readers of this letter absolutely know exactly what's going on here. He, remember, he's writing to, to these Hebrew Christians. Uh, they, they know exactly what the tabernacle in the wilderness was about. It, they know exactly what, what the temple was about that was there in Jerusalem at the time he was writing. The, the, the tabernacle, which became the temple later when they got into the land, it symbolizes the very presence of God. God wanted to live and dwell amongst his people. But there's also separation. You, you can't just walk into this temple. In fact, only the priests could enter into the temple. And then within the temple, there was an area called the Holy of Holies. It was separated from the other bit of the temple by a curtain. And only the high priest could go through that curtain once a year, and he would go with the, the blood of the atoning sacrifices and apply it uh, to the Ark of the Covenant there to secure the forgiveness of his people, to secure the ongoing relationship of a holy God with a sinful people. And this is the imagery that's been picked up here. You can read about it in, in uh, Exodus and Leviticus if you want to really dig into it. And in the coming weeks, we're going to dig into it a bit further because the writer will go on to describe it a little bit more. Here's the point. Uh, if they were tempted because of the persecution to go back to Judaism... And to trust uh, the, the, the human priests there who were going into a, into a, a temple in Jerusalem. And to trust their, the, the high priest who would go in through the curtain on the Day of Atonement. They need to remember this. Jesus has actually gone through a much more significant curtain into the very Holy of Holies. Into the very presence of the Holy God. Ascended to God's right hand. Uh, this stuff, this tabernacle and temple was a shadow of the reality that is Jesus. And Jesus has gone there on their behalf. Even in the storms of their life, if they are secured to the anchor that has gone into the very throne room of God's presence, they can be absolutely confident that he will keep them and it's worth waiting to see the fullness of the inheritance that is theirs in trusting the gospel. Jesus is described here as the forerunner and the high priest. Um, one of uh, the elders uh, in the church that I pastored in America, uh, we went away as elders for a retreat, and um, he told us something he'd not, really not talked about for decades. And, and he told us about what he did in the Vietnam War. And his job um, was to go with a small band of troops. And he went at the front of the troops and basically walked towards the enemy until the enemy revealed themselves by starting to shoot at him. And then the small team would sort of take out the enemies and they would just keep pushing forward. So that then behind them, the larger group of troops could come safely and make their way through. That, that's what he kept doing. Kept walking until he started shooting at him. A great elder to have. Steady under fire, right? He was a great elder. Very brave man. Well, Jesus is the forerunner who's gone ahead of us. He's defeated the greatest enemies. 
defeated the devil. He's conquered our sin problem. He's destroyed death. And in his resurrected life, he's gone ahead of us into the most holy presence. And he's gone there on our behalf. And he's made a way for us to follow behind. If we're just merely attached to him, keep trusting him, we will be where he is. Following him all the way into the new heavens and the new earth. By faith, our lives are anchored to this Jesus at God's very right hands. And he's not only our forerunner, he's our high priest. Which is to say, uh, this high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You're getting excited about Melchizedek, aren't you? Next week! Oh, we're going to get into Melchizedek next week. A high priest forever. I think the big idea about Melchizedek is that he has an eternal priesthood. That is to say, in the storms and struggles of life, he is able to help us now. He's at God's right hand for on our behalf right now. We can turn to him in prayer right now. He's not just saying, look, <clears throat> life's tough and difficult and tough it out on your own strength and, and, and you know, it'll be okay. No, he, he, he wants to help us now. He can strengthen us now if we turn to him in prayer. So look, that's why we have a prayer team um, after each service because the ministry continues because if you've got problems and concerns, come to the prayer team. They'll be delighted to hear what your, what your concerns are and then with you. Go before the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. We're trusting the one who after making purification for our sins has sat down at God's right hand and he's able to help us completely and totally and make sure that we're saved for all eternity. What a wonderful thing to be anchored to this Jesus. Storms and troubles come upon everybody in this sin-cursed world, whether you're Christian or not. My friends, what are you anchored to? If you're not anchored to Christ, why are you not anchored to Christ? It is the only safe place to be. Whatever you're trusting now, will, they, will it hold you in the storms of life? Will there be any use to you when you have to stand before a holy God? Flee from all false hopes today. Get your life anchored in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you've given us such great and precious promises through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you are such a trustworthy, dependable God. Lord, it's impossible for you to lie. And we thank you that they are anchored in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's not about our emotions or our feelings, but in the certainty of your Son. And so, Father, I pray that 
each of us would come to anchor our lives in Christ today and that we may know that great encouragement, that great encouragement of knowing that we are anchored to him. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.